Hello and welcome to a Mighty Blaze podcast. I'm your host, Trisha Blanchett. If you've been listening to us for a while, you know that a Mighty Blaze was created in 2020 to connect readers and writers during the COVID pandemic and has since developed into an online hotspot for book news and interviews with best-selling authors, debut writers, and everyone in between. For today's episode, we're excited to feature not one, but two special guests. Joe Piazza and Christine Pride have co-written a novel called We Are Not Like Them, which zeroes in on an interracial female friendship between two characters named Jen and Riley. In the story, the friendship is tested when Jen's cop husband is involved in a police shooting of a black teenager. It's told in dual perspectives from Riley, who is black, and Jen, who is white. Joe and Christine joined host Jane Roper on The Zeitgeist to talk about the unique challenges of co-writing the even bigger challenges of starting an open and honest conversation about race, and how their real-life friendship formed the perfect backdrop and foundation for the story that they created together. So settle in and enjoy the conversation as I pass the blaze torch to Jane and her introspective, irrepressible guests, Joe Piazza and Christine Pride. Welcome to the Zeitgeist on a Mighty Blaze. I am your host, Jane Roper, and I'm so excited to have with us today Joe Piazza and Christine Pride, who are the authors of We Are Not Like Them, broadcasting to us live from a hotel in where? Where are you? Nashville. Nashville. Coming to you. Hot chicken. (laughs) Oh, really? (laughs) That's awesome. Excellent. It was hotter than we expected. Okay. All right. Yeah. I did not know they were famous for their hot chicken. However, I will probably avoid it because I am a wimp when it comes to spicy things. Um, Alrighty, so we will uh, introduce you. Joe Piazza is a best-selling author, podcast creator, and award-winning journalist. She is the national and international best-selling author of many critically acclaimed novels and nonfiction books, including Charlotte Walsh Likes to Win, The Knockoff, Fitness Junkie, and How to Be Married. Her work has been published in 10 languages in 12 countries, and four of her books have been optioned for film and television. Joe lives in Philly, which is where the book takes place, with her husband and two young children. Um, Christine Pride is a writer, editor, and longtime publishing veteran. She's held editorial posts at many different trade imprints, including Doubleday, Brown, Crown, Hyperion, and Simon & Schuster. Um, oh. As an editor, Christine, yeah. is that all of them? Are there more? Now, it just when people read that list, I'm like, wow, I worked with a lot of imprints. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you've gotten around. <laughs> um, as an, well, I, it, people move around a lot, it seems. Sure. As an editor, she has published a wide range of books with a special emphasis on inspirational stories and memoirs, uh, including numerous New York Times bestsellers. Um, as a freelance editorial consultant, she does select editing and proposal content development, as well as teaching and coaching. And she pens a regular column, Race Matters, for the popular blog Cup of Joe. Um, she lives in New York City. And together, uh, Joe and Christine have written a novel, We Are Not Like Them. Um, it centers on the friendship between two women, Riley, who is black, and Jen, who is white. They became friends as children, and as adults, they remain as close as sisters, though their lives have taken different paths. Um, the bond they share is severely tested when Jen's husband, a city police officer, is involved in the shooting of an unarmed black teenager. 
Um, told from alternating perspectives, We Are Not Like Them is a powerful and poignant exploration of race in America today and its devastating impact on ordinary lives. So big, huge welcome and thank you in advance to both of you guys for being here. I'm so glad to have you on the show. Oh, we're so happy we're so to be glad here. To be here. <laughs> and I will say for those of you who are watching, um, if you put in a question or a comment, you will be automatically entered to win a copy of We Are Not Like Them. Yes, please add your questions, add your comments, and um, I because yeah, there's so much to unpack and so much to talk about here. Um, well, I'm so glad you have a book to hold up. As soon as we came on, I'm like, do you have a book? Do you have a book? Oh, like, book, book mistake. Neither of us actually packed a book to bring. No <laughs> way. You can't. So you're gonna have to like go to a bookstore and buy your yeah, own. Exactly. Yeah. Buy a <laughs> hey, two more sales. Woo! Exactly. So funny. Um, yeah, that's. Uh, yeah, that's a problem. So um, let's see. So just to start, and um, I'm going to let you guys, because I know you've been doing this a lot, just let you you guys jump in, whoever wants to jump in first. But tell me about the inspiration for this book um, that you wrote together, both the inspiration from the book, but then also why you wrote it together. Yeah, yeah, totally. Shall I go? You go. We, we, <laughs> take, we take turns. <laughs> sure, sure. Rock, paper, scissors, yeah. my turn. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so Joe and I actually met when I was her editor at Simon & Schuster. Mm -hmm. The last of the, in the long list that you read there. Yes. That I worked at. Uh, and so I published her novel, Charlotte Walsh Likes to Win, a wonderful novel. Mm -hmm. uh, and then we just worked together so well on that book. I mean, you get close often to your authors, right? Because you're in a, um, you know, a really like in the trenches together, uh, talking all the time around the clock. Uh, and we also had this kind of friendship spark where you just meet somebody and you have a lot in common. And, and so it felt like we were going to be in each other's lives for a while, one way or another. Uh, and then in spring 2018, um, we had worked on another project right after uh, Charlotte Walsh Likes to Win called Marriage Vacation, yep. which was a tie into the TV show Younger. And that had to be found um, this yeah, younger fans out there, I'm sure, since it's yeah. like, Shang, which is yep. always, always younger fans. Like oh, people yeah, are just like, yeah. Yep, yeah. I'm sure I watch younger like doctors watch ER, right? Like if only it were actually like yeah, actually, I know, right? And the lunches and then like not so much. all the drinking is right. So, yeah, all, all the drinking. The drinking. Right. That That's on. how I felt watching Mad Men because I work in advertising. In addition ah. to being an author, I work in, in advertising and I'm like, mm, no, no, no. So much, but, but it's fun. Yeah. Uh, but that book was a book that I published at Simon & Schuster and then came out on the show actually in real life or in the universe of the show. Um, and so that had to be done really quickly because we were tied to the production schedule of the show. Right. And by really quickly, I mean like four, four weeks. weeks. Over Christmas. Um, wow. Uh -huh. So talk about trial by fire. I like we were both yeah. in the Google Doc uh, around the clock yeah. to do wow. this. Kind of the editor author lines got blurry, very, very blurry. Pick songs. But we loved working together. And so we did that and we wanted to to keep working together. Um, and I had had an idea sort of simmering for a while. As an editor, you're always thinking like, you know, that could be a good book. That could be a good mm -hmm. book. I'd like to see, you know, somebody tackle that. Um, mm -hmm. And 
One of them was um, a, a friendship between a black woman and a white woman that was affected yeah. by a police shooting. And that's kind of just the broad strokes uh, that I had. And when I mentioned it to Joe, we just started talking about it and it seemed like we would have, there was a unique opportunity here, right? Mm -hmm. To tell the story together as opposed to individually or even finding somebody else to do it. Like we were kind of uniquely qualified to do it by virtue of our connection yeah. and different perspectives and backgrounds and how cool would it be to come together to do something special and yeah. we felt really mission oriented about it that we could we could write a book that could get people talking and and hopefully yeah. you know, thinking differently. Absolutely. And and you know I think what your book encapsulates so well and at the same time it like fulfills a need well, there are plenty of people, you know, plenty of people have a friend of a different race, although I think I heard you say in another interview that only that 70 percent of a white Americans don't have a friend. of 75. Yeah, that kind of blew my mind. Yeah. Um, but, you know, even when there are close friendships between people of different races, often those conversations about race don't necessarily happen, right? There might be like little jokes or whatever, like talking about some of the superficial differences, but a lot of times those meteor discussions don't happen. And that's really the case with Jen and Riley in your yeah. book. Mm -hmm. um, why do you think those conversations don't happen more often? Because they're hard. And I don't think, I mean, as human beings, we naturally, want to protect ourselves. We naturally don't want to create uncomfortable situations. We want things to be easy, especially friendships. So many other relationships in our life are fraught or difficult, right? right. They they you know, kind of have to be like, marriages are often fraught and difficult, mother-daughter relationships, sibling relationships. But with our friends, we're like, I just want to enjoy this. I just want to yeah. enjoy you. So why make it harder than it has to be if we know talking about race might be difficult? Right. Right. Yeah. Because certainly there, when you're having conversations like that, inevitably they're going to be uncomfortable moments, difficult um, moments. Mm -hmm. um, and that's necessarily, not necessarily a bad thing, but it can be an uncomfortable thing. Yeah. Um, when you guys were writing together, did you have moments where you had to confront some of that discomfort uh, or have conversations you've never no, had? No, not at all. Never. <laughs> Who do you have? Who's sort of a rhetorical question? Right? <laughs> no, I mean, it was, we were new friends who met as adults. And again, like, also when you're new friends, you want to talk about the fun stuff. It's like, let's talk about your terrible ex-boyfriends, you know, or like. Of which there was much material. So much material. <laughs> um, like, you don't necessarily say, hey, let's talk about this really difficult thing. And I, I will also say, I don't think I've said this in interviews before, as the white woman, I was hesitant to be like, well, what has race been like in your life and in your family? And how has it impacted you? Like, how do you even go about bringing that up? Right. So mm -hmm. we hadn't talked about it. And then we're writing, and then we're writing a book is literally about race. Right. Um, and so through that, we had to start talking about it. And then Absolutely. I had to confront some of my own subconscious biases, but mm -hmm. less biases than more things that I just kind of, that I had blinders on about mm -hmm. and that I wasn't sympathetic enough to. Mm -hmm. I had the privilege of not being impacted by race and of never having to think about it. Right. Like I just hadn't had to think about how it would impact my life in a way that Christine has. Right. And so I was not as sympathetic or empathetic as I could have been to what she had gone through right. with race. 
And those were the kinds of things we're trying to get on the page. And that, you know, that's what Jen experiences on the page, right? Like, I, and to something you said earlier, Jane, you know, a lot of people feel like they do have close friendships with somebody of another race. Like even the 75% figure that we talked about, some of that cohort might feel like they have a close friendship, right? Right. Um, but, you know, I would argue, and I think this is what plays on the page between Riley and Jen, that you really can't have a close friendship unless you can talk about race. And that is something mm. part of the conversation. So as intimately as you might go into, you know, family and marriage and your darkest dreams and your deepest fears and what have you, if race isn't a part of that or your experience and you can't talk to the other person about that, especially as a black person, uh, you know, then there's always going to be that divide there. Like just something that, you know, keeping you from connecting on a deeper level. Um, And I think, you know, Joe and I talked a lot about that and that's something that plays out with Riley and Jen, right? Like how close are we and how close can we be without going there? Absolutely. Yeah. And, you know, Christine brought that up. She's like, you, we can't be close friends. We're not, we're not close friends if we're, we can't talk about race. And that wounded me because I was like, I guess maybe we're not close friends. Mm. Um, maybe we can't be, or maybe there's something wrong with me that I have not brought this up before. Um, and so that was one of our really early disagreements. We didn't, like, there were harshly worded emails. We didn't talk mm. for a while. Um, and then we did talk and then we were really honest about how we'd both felt um yeah. christine feeling wounded that i'd gotten so defensive and me not knowing how to react I'm like i was defensive because i thought you were you know attacking me mm-hmm. and i think that that is a traditional pattern Definitely. that we even see play out between friends people who aren't close but playing out on twitter playing out in social spaces of like i feel attacked now i feel defensive now i feel attacked now i feel defensive and right. that shuts down even the national conversation yeah. Mm-hmm. And right. so I wanted to get at it like in a microcosm of just a single friendship. Yes. So these larger themes of how it's playing out across America right now. Yeah. And I, I thought what was so well done was you captured exactly that dynamic between Jen and Riley, where they sort of both were feeling hurt or, mm-hmm. or overlooked or misunderstood or defensive. And but yet they they couldn't quite, you know, get over them, not get over themselves, but get over the discomfort or get over the potential hurt. Mm-hmm. Um, There's one point I, I think where I forget if it's Riley or Jen, I think it's Jen who's like, are we in a fight? I'm not sure if we're in a fight. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's how I felt too. I remember mm. writing that because I was like, I don't know, like, is this a fight or mm-hmm. is this the end of our friendship mm-hmm. or like, and also what did I do wrong? Right. Uh, and I think you have to have a, a a party like in in this dynamic that's willing to go there that breaks through this. Otherwise, it really is easier just to be like, okay, well, you know, we have this right. message here. We will never see eye to eye, and you know, we're gonna go our separate ways. Um, yeah. and, you know, in Riley and Jen's dynamic, it's really like Riley is not. Um, she's not hardwired to lean in, right? Like it's much easier for her to compartmentalize and I won't go there, I'll just like, you know, yeah. I was on the prize, my career, my family, you know, I, she has a lot going on um, right. and she has to break through that, right? And yeah. so there's always gonna be an element of that in, in a dynamic, like mm-hmm. just just like who's gonna, if it's pride you're overcoming or if it's you're feeling a mm-hmm. discomfort or uh, if it's fear, like whatever it is, that's yeah. the thing to get past. Mm-hmm. And for and for Jen, it seems, and I think this is common among white people. Like, even having a close black friend, it's like they not 
well, in part, maybe they're afraid to bring up that discussion, but also feel like, well, I don't want them to think that that matters to me, you know, yeah. or I don't want them to think that I think of them as, you know, my black friend, there's my friend. Right. Then of course, then of course, you know, she ends up. Yeah, yeah. yeah she, she ends up blurting like, "I can't be racist. I have a black friend. <laughs> you know, my best friend is black." Which is this thing that I think a lot of um, white folks like, sort of, who deny the importance of race and the relevance of race, you know, will tell themselves, "Well, I, I've got it all. You know, I must know everything because you know, I've got a black friend." Well, not um, even that I know everything, but like, how could I be uncomfortable with race, or how could I have mm -hmm. any? Because because I'm friends with this person, I wouldn't be friends with this person. It's a very easy right. shield, and like, you know, we grappled with that line a few times. We're like, is it too much? Like, is mm -hmm. it too like also like a common like a cliche? Like a cliche. Like, I don't. As a white person, I don't think it is. I've heard right. it a lot. Yeah, or even if people don't say it, they they kind of yes, they think it's completely it, yes. implied. Yeah, yeah, they they think I it's not kind of subtext central. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like I remember having a conversation with a family member once where they said something sort of racist and I called them on it um, in, in, a, in that way. This is something you deal with too, that the difficulty of speaking up and, and how you do or don't do it. And when, you know, you chicken out and don't do it anyway. But in this case, you know, afterward, this person was very quick to, you know, say, oh, so my, you know, my, my friend who's black and I did that, you know, I'm like, well, that doesn't cancel it out. You know? but, yeah. Um, and I think that gets to something else we tried to do on the pitch, which is, you know, bring back what people hear and say in other spaces, right? Like, so your friend or your family member was talking to you, they might have said something that they wouldn't have even said in front of said black friend, right? Absolutely. That they to be, you know, so close to. So it's this idea of who are you in different spaces and, uh, you know, what are you thinking in different spaces and then what are you saying in those spaces yeah. to those friends? And that's what we try to get into, especially coming from our unique perspectives where we've each been privy to different mm -hmm. conversations yes. um, in all black spaces or all white spaces and then bringing back those conversations uh, to the page. So it's like everybody's eavesdropping in on them. Right. Yeah. And the way the book was structured so that you have the two points of view allowed you to, was the vehicle through which you could do that. And and a lot of times they Jen and Riley are in separate places in separate spaces. Mm -hmm. um, There's a lot of silence between them. Um, yeah. I did a talk uh, with Sarah McNally at McNally Jackson uh, hmm. years ago. I'm like, what, what day? Time has no meaning right now. <laughs> <laughs> so, and, um, you live in hotels. <laughs> yeah, she no, we, we actually really don't. This is our only this thing. We've been in two hotels. We have two live tour stops. It still feels like amazing. Yeah. <laughs> We're like, We're in the world. Yes. But Sarah brought up the silence between the two women because there is so much silence between them. And it's like, yeah. who's gonna talk first? Are they and the silence becomes so heavy and like almost anxiety inducing mm -hmm. for the reader? Um, like it almost like another character in the book. It's like yeah. It's it's right there. It's right in the room between the two of them. Which yeah. I think then the reader wants to scream like talk, 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 talk. talk. Just and that's do it. we that's kind of the lesson that we have. You know, that that's the subtext of the book then, right? Like yeah. as much as you want these characters to have it out and to go there and as satisfying as you imagine it will be when they do, right? Like just do it. That's these are the same kind of conversations mm -hmm. that, you know, can happen at Thanksgiving or, you know, your next girl's trip or what have you, like you can right. go there. Exactly. Yeah. And I was, I was wondering, um, you know, thinking about the audience, what are some of the takeaways that, well, let me first back up a second. Um, 
the book is very accessible, right? It's in that space of sort of commercial upmarket literary crossover to use all these, you know, industry terms, but, you know, accessible to a wide audience. Um, and maybe people who haven't dug into race as much. Um, and I, I got the sense that that was a conscious choice, right? To pitch it at that sort of level, right? Yeah. Very much so. And it was a very conscious choice to write a novel, like a commercial women's fiction novel that was very accessible, that didn't feel preachy, or again, like what we talked about before, like someone was attacking you, yes. or telling you that you had done something wrong, or making you do homework. And I think that there are places for all of the wonderful nonfiction out there um, that is about race. But if we really want to touch the people in the hearts and minds that should be talking yeah. about race issues, we think that it had to be packaged a little bit differently. And we think a novel is the perfect vehicle for that because people will pick up a novel, they'll pick up a story about friendship who are not going to pick up how to be an anti-racist. They just don't. Right, or white fragility. Yeah, right, right. exactly. And you wanted to, I mean, Joe's written a million books. I've been an editor for a million years. Which Again, is crazy because she's like 15. Judging by the list. I like far, as far away from the cameras as I can be. Yeah, now you can believe I'm 15. <laughs> um, but we we really believed in like a good story, right? Like when, whatever topic we were tackling. I mean, in this case, we did, you know, feel mission oriented about, um, about wanting to explore race, but we still wanted people to like feel entertained. Do you know what I mean? Or, mm -hmm. and touched and moved and a page turner and what's going to happen. Like all right. of those more, more traditional yeah. storytelling elements. Yeah. And so it's funny because some people say, Oh my God, I love the book. I had so much fun reading it. Like sometimes they'll feel guilty about that. Right. Like it's such a serious subject, but they're like, Oh, can I say that? Yeah, But we wanted it to be an enjoyable mm -hmm. read too, that you just, like, you, you feel entertained and, and yeah. it's compelling. Um, and so race doesn't always have to be like the heaviest, darkest, bleakest right. subject in the entire world. Right. We'll be right back after this word from our sponsor. Do you want to hear how successful authors got their start? The Queries, Quams, and Quirks podcast asks published authors to share their successful query letter and discuss their journey from first spark to day of publication. Author Sarah Nicholas interviews authors of all genres about how they got started writing, getting their book deal, and their experiences with publication. Sounds like something that would be up our alley. Listen on your favorite podcast app or go to sarahnicholas.com for more info. And it's not like, you know, you just have two talking heads talking about race, right? They're characters. Right, right. That's not fun. Like, no, it just, I think that there's a lot of exhaustion. That's a terrible book. Right. They're, they're fully fleshed out human beings which is yep. the point you know and they each have their own struggles and issues neither of them is a saint it's not like there's a good guy bad guy you know one thing i have to say was really um i i've been thinking a lot about you know that so jen's husband is a police officer who's involved his name's kevin he's involved in this police shooting uh, this shooting of this um young boy and um it seems you had you had a really delicate line to walk there because you you wanted to show like he's culpable culpable and, and he was in a, a situation where he's at fault to you know whatever degree i mean people could debate he debates but you had to make him able to debate i mean that's right. right but you you couldn't make him a monster right he had to feel human and you had to like the reader had to have empathy for Jen's plight, it, you know, if the, the person you love is involved 
uh, in something like this. How did you navigate that? Because I imagine that was really, I don't know, tough given how charged that conversation is in our culture. Yeah, yeah, it was hard. Yeah. It was hard. Um, but you know, we knew from the very beginning that we had to do it and that it was important to us because, and I also, I have friends who are cops sure. and like I talk and I talk to them about their job and I am sympathetic to how hard their job can be. And I do see that there is humanity behind the badge. Sure. It does often get left behind in news coverage. Of course. And also, but then also, you know, there's so much humanity that gets left behind of the shooting victims. The mm -hmm. media has done no one any favors. Right. Mm -hmm. And like, and media coverage that boils everything down to like a single tagline or a single headline yes. has made these issues so much more contentious. Yeah. Um, and it, it's pitted. And that brings us back to the title of the book, right? It's pitted in us and them. It's yeah. a, we are not like them. They like, we are us and it's created this tribalism. And so Kevin did a terrible thing. Kevin is a murderer. Kevin right. murdered a teenage boy. Right. On the page. Jen yeah. thinks about her husband and says, is my husband a monster? Right. Father, how will I live with the father of my child? Right. Doing this? Yeah. But we also we want, but having him be a clear cut, like villain who wanted to go out and shoot this boy. That's not what we wanted. We wanted to show that all of the things that were behind that incident. We talked to a lot of cops about like, we're like, we're like how would this happen? Like, how could yeah. this happen? Did, are we getting this right? Is it possible that it could have happened like this? And we adjusted based off all of, all of their feedback. They're like, actually, you would have your gun drawn or this, this, and this. Um, Right. Because you have to you have to get it right. You can't you have to get it right. This is mm -hmm. like this is, you know, what you need to change. We talked to the DA and we talked to shooting victims and shooting victims. I mean, we really interviewed so many people to make sure that we were getting this story correct. Mm. Um and I think we we it's it's been fun to have the book out in the world just to get people like you have these goals as a writer, right? And you're just working in our place. I mean less in a vacuum because there are two of us, but still in a vacuum. Um, and so, uh, you know, I think one of the most gratifying things that we hear from people is that it, they're surprised by the complexity of the story, right? Like, you know, they're surprised that they saw a viewpoint or, uh, you know, related to a character uh, in a way that, you know, they didn't expect to. And right. that really means that we've done our job because I think a lot of people will go into this just hearing the the, the one-liner, right? With a lot of preconceived notions about who's the good guy, who's the bad guy, what should happen, what should not happen. Um, and to some degree, you wanna challenge those notions, right? Or at least have people um, learn, go into, a, 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 have a different way in than they, they thought right. they might. Right, yeah, there's subtleties and there there's a lot of nuance and that's what you, could explore in a novel that's just not possible. You can't have a headline, exactly. Right, or on social media, you know, it's... Mm -hmm. um, so I actually, uh, a question came up, and this, this is a, a nice segue into something I wanted to talk about. So I actually uh, saw you guys do a panel or part of a panel for the Muse in the Marketplace conference. Oh, yeah. 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 yeah, I was I was there in the audience um, oh. listening. So you talked about, about a lot about writing about race, and mm -hmm. I remember you explaining that you didn't divide up the chapters like, mm -hmm. you know, Christine, you're you're gonna write Riley's part and and Joe, you're gonna write Jen's part. You you both worked on both chapters. Yeah. Um and so 
I want to talk a little bit about that. And then uh, my friend Bojina here had a, a question related to this. Once heard a young American author claim only a black person can write a good black character. Yeah. Um, so there is a lot of debate about that, right? Yeah. Discussion about that, yeah. about who, who can write whom. And, and um, so, yeah, I don't know. Yeah. No, that. I think that that's fair. And that's something that we both think about a lot. I mean, I've been thinking about it a lot as an editor, right, for years. Like when people send, I mean, I've obviously considered a lot of submissions over the years. And I think anytime you're writing something that's outside of your your identity in one way or another, if you're a woman writing a male character, if you're, you know, straight writing a gay character, whatever it is, you know, the first question is why? I think right. that's the, What's the motivation that's, for this? Like, why mm -hmm. do you need to tell hmm. this story? And, and that's worth, that's not even a question of right or wrong or should you or shouldn't you, but examining your motivations, I think is is just the first step because if they're not pure and clear and there's not like a really a reason behind it, then yeah. you probably shouldn't be doing it, right? So right. You know, that's kind of step one. But step two, I think you have to really be a lot more intentional about it. The same way when we were writing, I mean, Joe knew more police officers than I did, but when writing about this world, you know, I felt like I couldn't get it right without reading a lot of firsthand accounts and talking to people. We read memoirs, you know, firsthand accounts from, or from, cops, from cops, from the mothers of shooting victims. Like yeah. just, just we to followed, get it. We followed hashtag police wife. Yes. Um, oh, oh, wow. Yeah. Which is a world. It's, it's a, world. a world. It is a world. Yeah. That's the kind of thing that you have to really immerse yourself in to write with any sort of authenticity and credibility. And still we had questions about mm -hmm. like, did we get it right? Did we get it right? And so I think if you were a white person trying to write a black character, and I would argue that that is harder just because we are immersed in quote unquote white culture, right? Like it's easier for me yeah. to write a white character because all pop culture, all stories, all, you know, our foundation of inspiration is it like you absorb all that, right? Sure. In a way that doesn't happen in the reverse. So if you have a white person that's writing from the point of view of a black person or another, you know, minority perspective, then the bar is that much higher and harder to get it right. And so are you willing, it's hard to write a book anyway, are you willing to do the extra work and put the extra energy into making sure that you get that right? Yeah. That's the question you really have to ask yourself. Sure. Yeah. And a related question was, you know, tackling the multiple author approach. Um, I'm curious, were there ever moments where one of you had to say to the other, that doesn't ring true. That's not, that's not right. White people don't say that. Black people don't say that. Yeah. Or, yeah. You know. yeah all no, oh my God. Oh my God. One of my favorite ones, ones. One of my favorite true, ones yeah. is I, so Riley's a journalist, right? And yeah. Christine went to school for broadcast journalism, but like I've worked as a journalist for the past 20 years. Mm -hmm. And like one of my like dirty old habits that I acquired mm -hmm. as a journalist is smoking because like that was the only way to get my old editors to pay attention to me as I would go on like smoke breaks. Ah, uh, yeah. The old and so when Riley is stressed, I have her pull out an old pack of Parliament lights that she hides in her freezer, which is also where I used to hide my old cigarettes. Um, and Christine's like, black people don't smoke. <laughs> well, not you, where I'm in Riley's milieu. You know, Riley's right. Like, right. I don't There's plenty of black people who smoke. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But you're like, but, yeah. you're, but it's something like, like that. You're like, yeah. yeah, like you're like Riley doesn't smoke. And I was like, Okay, we kept right. it in. We did. Yeah, because I'm like, she's but a journalist. Yeah. Oh, what were some other funny ones? Well, I mean, I think that people, a lot of writing books as a Black 
author is you don't want to fall into this trap of explicating, right? Mm -hmm. So there are some things that we did let stand on the page that I'm like, I'm not explaining what this is, even if Joe didn't know what it is, like, mm -hmm. then people can Google it. So like, you didn't know what mm -hmm. Jack and Jill was, yeah. like every black person in America will pretty much know, you know, what Jack and Jill is, or, you know, just like, there are little things like that. Like mm -hmm. Sean says bet, it's just like vernacular, right? And Joe's yeah. like, what is this? You know, so there are some- right. Oh, the itis. Oh, the itis. The itis. The itis. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Sean is laying down after eating. Oh, his, his dad. His dad. dad. Yeah. He was like, I have too much. I have the itis. And yeah. I was like, is this a typo? Yeah. <laughs> there are definitely things that right. are, are that, 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 that came up. And, and, you know, it's like kind of fun and funny. You know what I mean? To right. like, it doesn't have to all be fraud. Like some of these are just right. cultural things that every culture has that, sure. you know, that you wouldn't explain in detail. I'm sure they're, you know, if you were writing from the point of view of a Japanese character and they're very specific kind of shorthands or, you know, you just don't explain everything. And I think right. that that is something like in white culture, again, to use quotes, is so pervasive um, that, you know, it's sort of like, okay, if you mention anything that's other than this baseline, then that bears explaining. And we wanted to turn that on its head where it's like, no, you know, every, we, you come into like two cultures equally. So yeah. we're not right. going to explain things. Right. Right. And it wouldn't make sense when you're close in the perspective in the Of course. Yeah. In jail, a black organization founded it. Yeah. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> well, you know, and we made some other little subtle writing, like, decisions early on now in so much and once you hear this you never unsee it in so much fiction race is only identified when it's not white we yeah. talked about this yeah, yeah. In, in our session with yes. yeah. yeah and so we made sure to either we were we said we would either not identify anyone or identify everyone and so mm -hmm. we made sure to identify everyone as white mm -hmm. when they're white so an old white woman um at the at the car yeah. rental counter um, right because yeah, so often, that's another thing where it's like white is normalized. White is normalized. So you have to mention so if it's not white. Otherwise, not white. The, de right. the default is right. White. As if it's the default. Yeah. yeah. Now I I forget. Do you do both characters do that? Is it throughout? Um, yeah, it's throughout, it's throughout the, the book. Throughout. Yeah. Yeah. Also, and things like um, descriptions of black skin. Mm. Um, we wanted to make sure that it's not all mocha. I think we had a rule, Christine had a rule, like no food. No, no food. food, yeah, I've, I've heard that too. <laughs> no coffee, right? it's a latte versus a cappuccino, yeah, you know, yeah. yeah. No. A little bit of milk. Yeah. <laughs> so um, do you guys think you'll collaborate in the future on anything? Is this a one-time thing? Now we're we are already on. deep into our next book. Yeah, we're, so hundred pages we're on a book. break for tour. Uh, sure. Multitask to that yeah. degree. Um, but yeah, no, we're we're into it and we're enjoying it. And I, I feel like there was such a big learning curve and so many kinks to work out in like logistics and creatively and you know, how are we gonna do this together? Mm -hmm. um, which is just an unavoidable, you know, sort of process and, and doing something for the first time, uh, or at least in that way in the first time. And now I'm so like in a group. Yeah, yeah, we know how to, I mean, it's like, cause I make podcasts, right? So like right. the first season or even the first episode of any podcast is the hardest one, but then you know how to make them. So I'm like, oh, I can just, I can make committed for the rest of my life. <laughs> I hope you do, cause it's so good. Oh, well. <laughs> is it, does, a, does the next book have uh, similar themes or is it something completely different? 
it's similar themes. I mean, we want to keep exploring this brand, if you will, of sure. race in intimate spaces, mm-hmm. right? So the same way that this book, We Are Not Like Them, tackles it in context of a friendship and how mm-hmm. it bubbles up in, you know, in a friendship, we have a completely different relationship mm-hmm. um, for the next book. Yeah, right. as much as we can say. Yes, of course. Yeah. Don't want you to yes, spill the beans. Mm-hmm. Um, oh gosh, I had one last question for you. What was I gonna ask? Uh, oh, 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 yes. Just a sort of a, a, a final um a final question is do you have ad- advice for, you know, if if people read this book and they sort of come away realizing, yeah, I haven't had these conversations with my friend who is, you know, I'm, I'm thinking mostly of white people, but I guess, you know, for people who are black people. Yeah. I think mean, it's both ways, yeah. yeah right, it's not this necessarily. This is a example of that that just happened to us. Oh, yeah. yeah. What, what happened? I remember now. So this woman, we got some feedback that a woman had, a black woman had read the book and read um, this piece that I did in The Stylist, and she had a falling out with a white friend last summer, post-George Floyd, and she mm-hmm. felt like a white friend had said something that was off-color offensive or like struck her the wrong way. Yeah. It was. And so she cut her off completely. Like they mm-hmm. had spoken sense. And then she read the book and said that, you know, she was in a raw place last summer and perhaps this woman didn't mean exactly, you know, like they, it was worth talking about before unilaterally cutting the friendship mm-hmm. off. And mm-hmm. so she was reaching out to her she was like so inspired to reach out to her um, and have a conversation about what happened last summer. And, wow. you know, whatever happens, I mean, I hope they're able to work it out. But at least, like, that's exactly the conversations or the thinking even, you know, that we want to happen. So it's really, it's really yeah. gratifying. And a young, I did a talk at the Junior League um, in Philadelphia a week before the book came out. And a young black woman and a young white woman came up to me and they're like, we're besties. And I believe them. I mean, they were like, they, they seem very, they were very touchy. <laughs> we have the necklaces. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they seem to love each other. Mm-hmm. But they're like, but we've never talked about race. And so, wow. Oh, like, here's two copies. And they're like, no, oh, no, one, one of them had won a copy. And you, um, could do, you could do a conversation guide. I could see, you know. Well, I mean, so I put this crazy idea on Instagram last night because we need more work to do. You know, <laughs> I'm like, we want you to all do a buddy read. And if you don't have a buddy that's not like you, maybe we could pair you up. And a bunch of people chimed in, but white women and black women, they're yeah, like, pair me, up with, pair me up with Isn't a reading buddy. that such a fun idea? Yeah, that's an amazing idea. And yeah. talk about it. And I'm like, and maybe you'll now have a, a friend of another race that you did not have before. Brought together by, by this, book. this book. Nothing that's, can make us happy. Yeah. Oh my that God. is a brilliant idea. You should absolutely do that. I think that would be. Oh, we're doing it. We're doing it. I put it on the gram without permission. Right. If, yeah, right. If it's there, it's 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 already done. It's already I done. actually did yeah. learn that we were doing buddy matchmaking on Instagram. I saw Joe's post uh, last <laughs> night or this morning. I'm yeah. like, oh, we're doing this. Are, Are we, we doing this? Messages, and I have a whole spreadsheet that I hope isn't offensive. That's like black woman, white Elizabeth, woman. black. <laughs> Midwest. Because <laughs> I'm like, I will get geographical differences and race differences. Right, right. It's going to be amazing. It's going to be amazing. What a great, and what an uh, incredible thing to know. I mean, this is why as writers, we, we write, you know, yeah, yes. like yes. real world impact. Of it. Yeah. So yes. people yes. can start conversations they would not otherwise have. Yeah. Right. Right. Wonderful. I love it. I love it. All right. So any of your viewers want to do a diverse buddy read, DM me. I'm yeah. at Joe Piazza author on the Instagram and Christine Perfect. at C Pride. 
yeah, so reach Perfect. out. We'll Can we throw out. people at you to the probably politically incorrect spreadsheet? <laughs> Um, yeah, Margaret, can we let's throw that up on the on the screen too? Although quickly, actually, let's say we have a winner of our book giveaway. Oh, exciting! Oh, we'll be getting a, a copy of this gorgeous, vibrant, beautiful. It's so book. pretty. I mean, it's like a work of art. Uh, it, is, it is awesome. It kind of matches your outfit, Joe, too, a little. She has lots of clothes that match. I've been color coordinating. Oh, by the way, did you bring the steamer? Did not. Damn it! All right. <laughs> All right. This one's not that was a complete like, like sidebar. Nobody sidebar. in this podcast cares about the steamer right now. Okay. Well, I can, oh, that's not real. Steamer's important. You mean yeah. for like your clothes for wrinkles? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh yeah. I don't know how to steam. Christine steams for me. I love steaming things. Really? I did not. Oh, yeah. It's so satisfying. It's something that's so wrinkled that you just hold up some steam and then it's not like what in your life can you have that nothing. kind of instant nothing. gratification? And I love shopping for food for Christine's empty fridge. Yeah, I never had any. Oh wow, I'd be definitely in the steaming the steaming camp. That's more immediate gratification. Mm -hmm. I think I would I would like kind of like vacuuming the carpet is also. Yeah, and so you see the yeah. stripes. So stripes. Yeah. All right. So anyway, Rose Schmidt. Rose. 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 Rose, please. Um, you can DM a mighty blaze on Facebook, or you can email us at a mighty blaze at gmail.com. Let us know you're the winner of this and your address, and we will send that off to you. And then yes, everybody, please like go do the the buddy book buddy find a book and then either find your own buddy or we'll help you find a buddy. We'll help you and find a buddy. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Epic. Also, I love before it. we go, we want to say congratulations to you, Jane. Yes, congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Yes, my my novel, The Society of Shame, found a publisher, and I'm super excited. So, awesome. Yay. Yay. Happy. I mean, I'll interview myself when it comes out. So, oh, <laughs> we'll interview you. We'll interview you. We'll we'll yeah, yeah, sure. Great. Table. <laughs> the hard hitting question. Right, right. Oh, yeah. So it'll be like two on one. <laughs> it's a little, yeah, a little scary, but yeah. I, I would be up for it. So, all right. Well, thank you both so much. Enjoy the rest of your tour. And um, yeah, thank you, everybody. Please go get the book. You can get it at bookshop.org. I think we threw a link up there. Um, or, you know, some other indie of your choice. We're all about the indies. Wow. Um, love the indies. Love the indies. We love the indies. Yep, love the indies. We're going to be at Parnassus tonight. We're going to Parnassus. Oh, really? Parnassus. That's, is that Ann Patchett's mm -hmm. store? Yes, author Ann Patchett's. Is, I've heard it's amazing bookstore in, in Nashville. Yeah. Oh, have a blast. It's wonderful. Thank you. Thank you for joining us. I'm Trisha Blanchett for a Mighty Blaze podcast. My debut novel, a YA fantasy called Herrick's End, is due out May 10th, and pre-orders are available now. You won't want to miss next week's episode, which features the one and only Mitch album. Until then, keep your blaze burning and your pages turning. Music